to preach this morning, obviously. If you guys would, let's pray together as we jump into our message today. Lord Jesus, we want to come before you this morning. And God, we want to give everything that we have at your feet. God, we're asking that this morning you would reveal your love to us. That you would share with us just a little bit more of how much you care for us, how much you pursue us. God, take away the distractions of life so that we can focus on you this hour. And Lord, you speak, no one else. Use me today, but get my sin out of the way. God, we love you. Thank you for loving us first. In your name, amen. Well, as I mentioned, uh, my name is Joe. I head up the student ministries here at Three Timbers Church. From time to time, they give me a microphone, and usually they end up regretting that by the end of the day, but we're going to find out how it works out this morning. So we are jumping into uh, our message this morning. We have been going through the Game Changers series, and we're going to be continuing that today. Um, but a quick side note, i got to be honest, I'm pretty excited because yesterday the Huskers won two games in a row. That's a very, very big deal if you're a Husker fan, because I don't know if you noticed, we've been 0-6 up until that point, the worst record in Nebraska history. And as a diehard Husker fan, someone who's grown up in Nebraska, gone to games for the last 25 years, for me, two games in a row after going 0-6 seems to be a good start. Seems to be like we're going in the right direction. We've got a long ways to go, obviously. But if you've been listening to anything that Scott Frost has been sharing with the media throughout this season... Um, it's been about persistence and not giving up. His press conferences over and over again, the guy keeps talking about not giving up. We're getting better even though you can't see it yet. We're not going to give up. And we haven't been able to quite see it yet even though we're on a two-game winning streak. But I have to tell you, I think in sports, that motif of persistence, that motif of not giving up no matter how bad things get, that seems to be pretty true in every sport I've ever been familiar with. When I was a little itty bitty kid, about six, seven years old, my parents made the life-changing decision that me and my brothers were too small for football. So for the rest of my life, I avoided football like the plague because we were not allowed to play it. So the sports we got into when we were kids were baseball and basketball. And as a little six-year-old kid, baseball was a big deal. My older brother played baseball. He was pretty good. I could not wait to start playing baseball. And when you get about seven years old, you get into something called coach pitch, where they actually throw you the ball instead of off a tee. I was so excited to get into coach pitch, but I had this problem as a little six, seven-year-old kid. The problem was I couldn't hit the ball. <laughs> and in baseball, that is a problem. That's a big deal. If you can't hit the ball, you probably should not be playing baseball. And I couldn't figure out how to hit it. My eye-hand coordination just wasn't there. And like all fall, all spring, all summer, my dad worked with me in the backyard, throwing me these really easy underhand tosses, and I just kept swinging and swinging. I couldn't hit anything, and after about 10 swings, I would go into the house crying and yelling and saying I'm switching to football, and my mom would freak out. It was horrible. <laughs> but we tried all summer long to figure out how to hit a ball, and my parents were getting really nervous because all of my friends were hitting balls really, really well in, on the team, and as we were playing games, and they were, you know, watching me fail every single time I got up to bat and I was on the team during the season. Well, finally, we get to one of the final games of the year. I really don't remember which one it was because, let's be honest, this is Little League Baseball. Nobody cares, but it was sometime in July, and I was batting, and finally, I got a hit. 
I finally was able to make contact. The ball went about five feet in front of me. It was a huge deal. I was so excited that I ran clear out of the baseball field to the bleachers to tell my parents what I just did. <laughs> if you've ever played baseball before, I should recommend rule number two. After you hit the ball, you should run to the bases. That's something I just did not figure out as a little itty bitty kid. But you know what? I was persistent. And I did not give up even though I wanted to. I figured out how to hit a ball. And yeah, I did play baseball for about 10 years after that point. Did not get much better. I'm going to be honest. I figured out pretty quick baseball was not going to be my game. But persistence paid off. And this morning I want to talk about how persistence in life can pay off, especially when that persistence is focused around our Lord Jesus. And we have been going through the series together on Game Changers, a series about different men and women, ordinary men and women who have done extraordinary things because they have not stopped when Jesus was their opportunity. They've not given up when they had the opportunity to reach Jesus. Over the last few weeks, you may remember, just last week, we talked about a man, a father, who brought his son to Jesus to be healed. Even though he had unbelief, he asked Jesus, please fix my unbelief, help me believe even more. A couple weeks ago, we had Peter, one of the disciples, who fished in an area that didn't make any sense whatsoever, in open water where you would never go fishing with a net. But why did he do it? Because Jesus told him to do it. And he was not going to give up. When Jesus told him to do something, Peter was going to do it. And a few weeks before that, we talked about a woman with a crooked back, someone who could never stand up straight. But that she did not let that stop her. When she had the opportunity, she came forward to meet Jesus. Persistence pays off. And this morning, I cannot wait to share with you guys the story we have today, because we've got an incredible story from Luke 18 about a man who did not let the crowd shut him up, but he never gave up when he had his opportunity to meet with Jesus. So if you would, we're going to jump over to Luke 18, verses 35 through 42. You can jump there. We're not going to show up up on the screen yet. Good job, guys. Nice work. Let me give you a little background about what's going on in Luke 18. And this is important to know. If you ever find yourself reading your Bible and you get a little bit lost or a little confused, one thing I always recommend to people is take some time and look at the background, the context of what's going on in the scriptures. Sometimes that means you may need to do a little Google search. Sometimes if you have a study Bible, go down below and read the study notes below the text. But it always helps to understand the context of what's going on in a passage. So if we're in Luke 18, we need to understand that Jesus at this point, he is a rock star in the ancient world at this time. Jesus has been doing ministry now for three years. And in that region of the world, the Middle East, everyone has heard of this man from Nazareth. He is a huge, huge deal. He's gotten to the point where Jesus can no longer go into cities by himself because he gets mobbed by crowds. So he has to stay on the outskirts of towns with his disciples. Otherwise, they cannot get food. They can't function. There are riots in the streets. People are going crazy over Jesus at this time in his life. And if you know about three years in ministry, that's exactly how long Jesus spent in ministry. So what we also need to know about Luke 18 is that he is coming to the end of his life. As a matter of fact, when we're going to get into this passage, we're going to find out that Jesus is on his way to Jericho. 
And Jericho was the last stop that he would make before arriving in Jerusalem. The last time he would be in Jerusalem before he was to be crucified. So Jericho, Jerusalem, about a day's walk from each other, about 16 miles away. As we see him in Luke 18, he's coming to Jericho on his way to Jerusalem for the last time. After three years of ministry, becoming a huge deal in the known world as a Messiah, as a Savior, as a healer, everyone in the region knows about Jesus. He's become a very, very big deal. But as you also know, he's become a very big confrontational character. And a lot of different people have got very different opinions about Jesus, good or bad. So he's become kind of the pivot point of all this different controversy in the, Old, in the New Testament at this time. That's the context around Luke 18. He's a very big deal. Everyone knows about him. He's finishing up his life and his ministry, and he's on his last journey into Jerusalem. That's what we need to know before we jump into this text together. Well, now we know a little bit about the background. Let's jump in today. We're going to start in Luke 18, verse 35, and we're going to work our way through 39. It says, as Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. Now, when he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out immediately, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now those who led the way rebuked him and told him to shut up, to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Man, I love that. I don't know if you guys do this. I do this sometimes. I'm reading my Bible, and I just read so fast that I miss the gems that are right there in the scriptures. But we've got this guy, just, just a few verses. We just have four verses right there. We have this blind man doing his job, begging on the side of a street. That is his full-time occupation. There's nothing else that he would have been able to do. So every single day, this guy would go to the road and he would beg for money. That was his occupation. And while he's there on the road, he hears a crowd forming and going past him. And everybody's freaking out and going crazy. Well, what's going on? Jesus is coming. And immediately, he knows exactly what's happening. And he starts crying out and shouting at the top of his lungs, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. That is the best phrase you could ever shout today or back then. And what's the natural reaction when he starts shouting this? People try to shut him up. Have you ever been in a situation where somebody tried to get you to be quiet when you were yelling? Have you ever been in a situation where you were trying to get someone else to be quiet when they were screaming or yelling? If there are any parents in this room, you probably know exactly what I'm talking about. Just the other day, I was in Walmart, which is a magical wonderland, and I was shopping, and you better believe there was some kid in a chip aisle, and something cataclysmic had happened. I don't know what it was, but apparently they figured out that Pringles were a thing, and the parent, the mom, this wonderful mom was like, no, Pringles are not going to happen today. And this little girl just started screaming at the top of her lungs because that's her method of debating. And the mom wasn't having it. And everybody in the store knew what was going on. We've all been there. Fortunately, the mom got her out of the aisle. But we know what it's like to have someone screaming to the point where other people want them to shut 
up. And that's exactly what's happening with this blind man. He is screaming at the top of his lungs, Jesus, have mercy on me, so loudly that people are annoyed with him and telling him to be quiet. Well, this blind man, he knows something that the text doesn't directly tell us, but you have to look into it a little bit. He knows that Jesus is the Messiah. He knows that Jesus is the promised one. And we know that because this blind man uses the words, son of David. See, this blind man, he knew the Old Testament. He knew the scriptures, and he knew that the Savior of the world was going to come from the line of David. He understood this verse in Jeremiah. Back in the Old Testament, you go to Jeremiah 23, verse 5. And it says, For the time is coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up a righteous descendant from the King David's line. He will be king who rules with wisdom. He will do what is just and right throughout the land. This blind man knew exactly who Jesus was. And as soon as he heard that Jesus was coming by, he said, The Messiah is coming to my front yard. And he started doing anything and everything he could to get the son of David's attention because he knew that he had one opportunity, he had one chance to meet with Jesus and this was going to be it. But like so often, maybe in life, maybe this has happened for you, when you have an opportunity to meet with Jesus, an opportunity to study Jesus, an opportunity to proclaim Jesus, people around us shut us up. I don't know about you, but that's happened to me before, where I've been trying to read my Bible in public, or I prayed before a meal, or I tried to bring up Jesus with a friend at school or in college or at work, and you better believe that people came to me and said, hey, you can't be talking about that here. You can't do that here. This is a public place. You have to do that at home. Don't tell me about Jesus. Don't bother me with your religion. We don't do that here. Well, in a very same way, this blind man recognized his chance with the Messiah, and he started screaming, and what does everybody do? Be quiet. We don't do that here. We're going to be civilized. We're not going to shout at the top of our lungs. We're going to relax. Shut up. I love Jesus because he's not like everybody else. Jesus says the opposite. Let's take a look at the rest of the passage. Verse 40, Jesus stops what he's doing and ordered the man to be brought to him. Now when he came near, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. And Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. And when everyone else saw what was going on, when all the other people saw it, they also praised God. That's such a great conclusion to this short little story about a man who wouldn't stop screaming for Jesus, even though everyone else told them to be quiet. Jesus stopped what he was doing. Why? Because Jesus is not like everybody else. When others are annoyed, Jesus finds he's caring. He stops what he's doing. He orders the man to come to him. He says, hey, what's going on? How can I help you out? And the man says, I want to see. And what's so profound about this little itty-bitty passage is that Jesus says, your faith has healed you today. Because from the second this man heard Jesus' name, 
He knew the Messiah was on his way. He knew the Savior was on his way. And he did not stop believing that truth until reality struck and he could see again. There are some things that we want to learn from this, we want to take away. Number one, this man, he was not seeking healing, but he was seeking the healer. He wanted Jesus. And if you find yourself in life trying to get through a difficult struggle or a trial or a tribulation, my encouragement to you is that you would focus on the healer and not just the healing. You would focus on the Savior and not just escaping your situation. And that's so important about what this man was doing. He was focusing on Jesus. He wasn't just focused on the miracle that could happen. He was calling out for the son of David. He wasn't just saying, hey, I want to see again. Make me see. That's not what he was saying at all. So number one, he understood the prophecy about Jesus. He understood from the Old Testament, from the old scriptures, that Jesus was who he said he was. He understood that he was the Messiah. He was the Savior. He understood that Jesus could give mercy and he could heal. And that's something back then that was not normal. If you could give out mercy, if you could forgive sins and heal, that was saying that you were God and that you were operating on God's behalf. And that's what's so controversial about Jesus, that he could give mercy and he could heal. But this blind man understood that. And then lastly, he fully understood that Jesus was Lord. And we find ourselves often struggling in life. I know I do. And usually when I find myself in a struggle, in a trial, I get so focused on getting out of it that the only thing I'm praying is get me out of this bad situation. Help me escape. And yet when Jesus wants us to come to him, it's focusing on the healer, not the healing. It's focusing on the Savior, not just escaping the situation. Persistence is all about focusing on God and coming to Him, not running away from your problems. That's exactly what this blind man was doing that day on the road. When he heard Jesus calling out His name, he came forward. That's exactly what we've been talking about in our Game Changers series. Men and women coming to Jesus, coming forward, doing extraordinary things because they're focused on the extraordinary one. That's what Jesus is all about. This happens so many times outside of the Bible as well. I'm sure all of us have got stories of times where we have focused on God and He has gotten us through crazy events or hard situations. But I wanted to share one more story with you guys now because this story has made a big difference in my life and it's really inspired me in a lot of different ways. It's about a mom, a single mom, named Monica. Now, Monica lived a long time ago, so I don't, I've never met her, but I've heard her story. And Monica was a really strong, devout Christian mom, but she was a single mom. And she broke up with her husband. They divorced because of different religious beliefs. Her husband believed a very different way, but Monica believed in Jesus. Well, Monica had a son. And she was raising her child as best she could, her boy. And unfortunately, when her son was young, five, six, maybe seven, he started drifting away from Christianity. And this young boy started pursuing other beliefs and actually started pursuing his dad's religion. And that made Monica obviously very, very sad. Um, Maybe some of you guys can relate to that type of story. 
just a parent, a grandparent, you're watching your child, your grandchild drift away from the faith. That's what was going on with Monica. Well, she started praying and praying and praying and praying and crying every single night, crying out to God that her child would come back home, would come back to Jesus. And Monica didn't pray for just a year. She wasn't praying for five years or 10 years. Scholars believe that Monica spent somewhere between 20 and 30 years praying for her son. Two to three decades of praying for her boy to come back to Jesus. Well, sure enough, after 20, 30 years of consistent praying, Monica's son finally came back. He realized that what he was following, the faith that he was believing in, was false. He realized that it was a bunch of mythology and that there was a truth behind her mom's or his mom's religion. He came back home to Jesus because Monica prayed him back. You might have heard that story before thousands of times with a family friend or a relative, or maybe you've heard someone share that type of story here on a Sunday morning or at another church. This story is unique because Monica's son is now known to history as St. Augustine. If you're not familiar with who St. Augustine was, he lived at the end of the Roman Empire. He became a theological giant to our faith. Many people credit Augustine with the reason that the Western religions stopped polytheism and focused on Christianity. It's often said that St. Augustine brought Christianity into the Roman Empire and helped them do away with all their pagan faiths. History remembers St. Augustine. You can read about him in any type of book. You can Wikipedia him. Very few people know about his mom, Monica. An incredible story of someone who wouldn't give up, who kept praying for her son every single day. Why? Because she knew the Savior. And she was not going to give up on her son. She was not going to give up on their relationship. There's another verse in Jeremiah that speaks to this. This is an amazing verse for any situation of life. It's Jeremiah 29, 13. God says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. That's exactly what Monica was doing. Seeking God with all of her heart. Not just focusing on the problem, but focusing on the Savior. Not focusing on the pain, but focusing on the healer. What we can learn from this short passage this morning about this blind man sitting on the side of a road is that when he heard his opportunity was near, he would not stop shouting until he got to meet Jesus. What we can hear about the story of this incredible single mom trying to raise her kid is that when she had a confrontation see her in the face, an obstacle try to stop her and her faith and try to destroy her relationship with her son, she did not stop. She did not give up. She was persistent. And that persistence pays off. Amen? Well, I'm going to give you guys a second to think this over. We're going to have Sarah come on up to the front and she's going to sing us a song. If I can leave with anything is this. I promise you, if you seek God with all your heart, you will find him. Persistence does pay off. 
I learned as a little kid that, hey, guess what? If I tried hard enough, I could hit a baseball. That's really cool. But in so many greater ways, if you realize that there is the true and eternal God waiting to have a relationship with you, and he wants to pursue you every single day, you can find him through persistence. You do not have to give up, never give up in the journey that leads to Jesus. Let's learn from this blind man who never gave up. Let's learn from the single mom who never gave up. They focused on the healer, and therefore they were healed. Their families were reunited and restored. Let's listen to this song. Brunson was never a prisoner. He was always free because he had his hope in Christ. He was always free because he knew that Jesus Christ was his Savior. And when he was released, I don't know if you saw this, he was interviewed and they said, well, now that you're finally free, what is it that you're going to do now? He could have said, I'm going to take a vacation. I'm going to step back. I'm going to he said, I'm going to continue to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ as long as I live. That's a man who's free. That's not a man who's a prisoner. He's free. I'm going to ask us to do something that may not be something that everybody's comfortable with. Sarah's going to play. All of us can feel like we're a prisoner to something. We can feel like we're a prisoner to fear. We're a prisoner to anxiety or doubt. Maybe we're worried about our kids or our grandkids. Maybe it's that job. Maybe it's our marriage. Maybe it's our health. Maybe it's our finances. Maybe it's our country. I don't know, but I know that all of us can feel like we're a prisoner to maybe expectations. Or maybe we're a prisoner to our past, that we don't feel that we deserve for God to love us because, well, we haven't lived the best life. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. And then I want to ask you to, to really to wrestle for a minute with what is it that is holding you prisoner in your life? that's keeping you from experiencing the game-changing freedom that is in Christ. And then I'm going to ask you just to walk up. I'm going to ask you to come up here, and we're going to pray over you. You don't have to, you don't have to say anything, but just come forward. We, we, we learned in this texture, it's not, it's not just enough about being in the right place and doing the right thing. It's about responding when Jesus says, come forward. And so we're going to say, we want people to come forward. If you feel like you're a prisoner of anything in your life, you don't have to say it. God knows it. Just come forward, and we want to pray over you. We want you to experience the true freedom that comes in Christ. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads, to close your eyes, and to just wrestle. What is that thing that is holding you hostage? That thing that makes you a prisoner? that you feel like you can't really be free of it. It's always there in the back of your mind. A little bit of doubt. A little bit of worry. Anxiety. Not knowing what the future holds. You want to be free. Maybe it's even an addiction. An addiction to technology. Alcohol, drugs, sex. Maybe it's a marriage that just 
right now isn't in a good spot and you just want to be free of the arguments. Maybe you're not on the same page with your kids. If you want that freedom, that freedom that only Jesus can give, that freedom, and he said, woman, you are free. It's about coming forward. It's about knowing that Christ will give us freedom. I want to ask you now that as you keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed, that I know that God's working in somebody's heart right now and they're, they want to come up, but they're scared to come up. And it just takes the first person that comes up and then more people will come. Take that step of faith. Come forward. Just come forward and and receive that freedom that only comes in Christ.